Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This week in surgery we will be discussing articles published in November 2023 issues. First, Annals of Surgery. Ideal Outcome After Pancreatic Duodenectomy, A Transatlantic Evaluation of a Harmonized Composite Outcome Measure. Objective. The aim of this study is to define and assess ideal outcome in the national or multi-center registries of North America, Germany, the Netherlands, and Sweden. Background Assessing outcomes after pancreatic duodenectomy among centers and countries requires a broad evaluation that cannot be captured by a single parameter. Previously, two composite outcome measures, textbook outcome and optimal pancreatic surgery, for pancreatic duodenectomy have been described from Europe and the United States. These composites were harmonized into ideal outcome, IO. Methods. This analysis is a transatlantic retrospective study, 2018-2020, of patients after pancreatic duodenectomy within the registries from North America, Germany, the Netherlands, and Sweden. After three consensus meetings, IO for pancreatic duodenectomy was defined as the absence of all six parameters, 1. In-hospital mortality, 2. Severe complications, Cluvin Dindo greater than or equal to 3, 3, postoperative pancreatic fistula, International Study Group of Pancreatic Surgery, ISCS, grade BC, 4, reoperation, 5, hospital stay greater than 75th percentile, and 6, readmission. Outcomes were evaluated using relative largest difference, RLD, and absolute largest difference, ALD, and multivariate regression models. Results Overall, 21,036 patients after pancreatic duodenectomy were included, of whom 11,194, 54%, reached IO. The rate of IO varied between 55% in North America, 53% in Germany, 52% in the Netherlands, and 54% in Sweden, RLD, 1.1, ALD, 3%, P less than 0.001. Individual components varied with an ALD of 2% length of stay, 4% for in-hospital mortality, 12% severe complications, 10% postoperative pancreatic fistula, 11% reoperation, and 9% readmission. Age, sex, absence of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, body mass index, performance status, American Society of Anesthesiologists, ASA, score, biliary drainage, absence of vascular resection, and histologic diagnosis were associated with IO. In the subgroup of patients with pancreatic adenocarcinoma, country, and neoadjuvant chemotherapy also was associated with improved IO. Conclusions The newly developed composite outcome measure ideal outcome can be used for auditing and comparing outcomes after pancreatic duodenectomy. The observed differences can be used to guide collaborative initiatives to further improve the outcomes of pancreatic surgery.
Novel Benchmark Values for Open Major Anatomic Liver Resection in Non-Serotic Patients, a Multicentric Study of 44 International Expert Centers. Objective This study aims at establishing benchmark values for best achievable outcomes following open major anatomic hepatectomy for liver tumors of all dignities. Background Outcomes after open major hepatectomies vary widely lacking reference values for comparisons among centers, indications, types of resections, and minimally invasive procedures. Methods A standard benchmark methodology was used covering consecutive patients, who underwent open major anatomic hepatectomy from 44 high-volume liver centers from five continents over a five-year period, 2016 to 2020. Benchmark cases were low-risk non-serotic patients without significant comorbidities treated in high-volume centers, greater than or equal to 30 major liver resections slash year. Benchmark values were set at the 75th percentile of median values of all centers. Minimum follow-up period was one year in each patient. Results Of 8,044 patients, 2,908, 36%, qualified as benchmark, low-risk, cases. Benchmark cutoffs for all indications include R0 resection greater than or equal to 78%, liver failure, grade BC, less than or equal to 10%, bile leak, grade BC, less than or equal to 18%, complications greater than or equal to grade 3 and CCI registered less than or equal to 46% and less than or equal to 9 at 3 months, respectively. Benchmark values differed significantly between malignant and benign conditions so that reference values must be adjusted accordingly. Extended right hepatectomy, H1, 4-8 or H4-8, disclosed a higher cutoff for liver failure, while extended left, H1, 5-8 or H2, 5-8, were associated with higher cutoffs for bile leaks, but had superior oncologic outcomes, when compared to formal left hepatectomy, H1, 4 or H2, 4. The minimal follow-up for a conclusive outcome evaluation following open anatomic major resection must be three months. Conclusion These new benchmark cutoffs for open major hepatectomy provide a powerful tool to convincingly evaluate other approaches including parenchymal sparing procedures, laparoscopic-slash-robotic approaches, and alternative treatments, such as ablation therapy, irradiation, or novel chemotherapy regimen. Resection postradioembolization in patients with single large hepatocellular carcinoma. Objective The aim of this study was to evaluate the efficacy of yttrium 90 transarterial radioembolization, TRE, to convert to resection initially unresectable, single, large, greater than or equal to 5 cm, hepatocellular carcinoma, HCC. Background Tear can downsize cholangiocarcinoma to resection but its role in HCC resectability remains debatable. Methods All consecutive patients with a single large HCC treated between 2015 and 2020 in a single tertiary center were reviewed. When indicated, patients were either readily resected, upfront surgery or underwent tear. Tear patients were converted to resection, tear surgery or not, tear only. To further assess the effect of tear on the long-term and short-term outcomes, a propensity score matching analysis was performed. Results Among 216 patients, 144, 66.7%, underwent upfront surgery. 
Among 72 TER patients, 20, 27.7%, were converted to resection. TER surgery patients received a higher mean yttrium 90 dose than the 52 remaining TER only patients, 211.89 plus or minus 107.98 versus 128.7 plus or minus 36. 52 grays, P less than 0.001. Postoperative outcomes between upfront surgery and tear surgery patients were similar. In the unmatched population, overall survival at 1, 3, and 5 years was similar between upfront surgery and tear surgery patients, 83.0%, 60.0%, 47% 94.0%, 86.0%, 55.0%, P equals 0.43, and compared favorably with tear-only patients, 61.0%, 16.0%, and 9.0%, P less than 0.0001. After propensity score matching, tear surgery patients had significantly better overall survival than upfront surgery patients, P equals 0.021, while disease-free survival was similar, P equals 0.29. Conclusion Tear may be a useful downstaging treatment for unresectable localized single large HCC providing comparable short-term and long-term outcomes with readily resectable tumors. Early postoperative serum phosphate drop predicts sufficient hypertrophy after liver surgery. Objective The aim of this study was to assess the impact of postoperative hypophosphatemia on liver regeneration after major liver surgery in the scenario of associating liver partition with portal vein ligation for staged hepatectomy, ALPS, and living liver donation, LLD. Background Hypophosphatemia has been described to reflect the metabolic demands of regenerating hepatocytes. Both ALPS and LLD are characterized by an exceptionally strong liver regeneration and may be of particular interest in the context of post-hepatectomy hypophosphatemia. Methods Serum phosphate changes within the first seven postoperative days after ALPS, N equals 61 and LLD, N equals 54 were prospectively assessed and correlated with standardized volumetry after one week. In a translational approach, postoperative phosphate changes were investigated in mice and in vitro. Results After ALP stage 1 and LLD, serum phosphate levels significantly dropped from a preoperative median of 1.08 mmol/l in interquartile range, IQR, 0.92 to 1.23, and 1.07 mmol/l. IQR 0.91 to 1.21, to a postoperative median nadir of 0.68 and 0.52 mmol/l, respectively. A pronounced phosphate drop correlated well with increased liver hypertrophy, P less than 0.001. Patients with a low drop of phosphate showed a higher incidence of post-hepatectomy liver failure after ALPS, 7% versus 31%, P equals 0.041. Like in humans, Phosphate drop correlated significantly with degree of hypertrophy in murine ALPS and hepatectomy models, P less than 0.001. Blocking phosphate transporter, SLC20A1, inhibited cellular phosphate uptake and hepatocyte proliferation in vitro. Conclusion Phosphate drop after hepatectomy is a direct surrogate marker for liver hypertrophy. 
Perioperative implementation of serum phosphate analysis has the potential to detect patients with insufficient regenerative capacity at an early stage. Stoma-free survival after rectal cancer resection with anastomotic leakage, development and validation of a prediction model in a large international cohort. Objective to develop and validate a prediction model, STOMA score, for one-year STOMA-free survival in patients with rectal cancer, RC, with anastomotic leakage, L. Background. L after RC resection often results in a permanent STOMA. Methods. This international retrospective cohort study, Tentacle Rectum, encompassed 216 participating centers and included patients who developed L after RC surgery between 2014 and 2018. Clinically relevant predictors for one-year stoma-free survival were included in uni and multivariable logistic regression models. The stoma score was developed and internally validated in a cohort of patients operated between 2014 and 2017, with subsequent temporal validation in the 2018 cohort. The discriminative power and calibration of the model's performance were evaluated. Results This study included 2,499 patients with L. 1954 in the development cohort and 545 in the validation cohort. Baseline characteristics were comparable. One-year stoma-free survival was 45.0% in the development cohort and 43.7% in the validation cohort. The following predictors were included in the stoma score, sex, age, American Society of Anesthesiologists classification, body mass index, clinical M disease, neoadjuvant therapy, abdominal and transanal approach, primary defunctioning stoma, multivisceral resection, clinical setting in which AL was diagnosed, postoperative day of AL diagnosis, abdominal contamination, anastomotic defect circumference, bowel wall ischemia, anastomotic fistula retraction, and reactivation leakage. The stoma score showed good discrimination and calibration, C index, 0.71, 95% C, 0.66 to 0.76. Conclusions. The STOMA score consists of 18 clinically relevant factors and estimates the individual risk for one-year STOMA-free survival in patients with AL after RC surgery, which may improve patient counseling and give guidance when analyzing the efficacy of different treatment strategies in future studies. The high incidence of occult carcinoma in total hepatectomy specimens of patients treated for unresectable colorectal liver metastases with liver transplant. Objective To describe the rate of occult carcinoma deposits in total hepatectomy specimens from patients treated with liver transplant, LT, for colorectal liver metastases, CRLM. Background Previous studies have shown that patients with CRLM treated with systemic therapy demonstrate a high rate of complete radiographic response or may have disappearing liver metastases. However, this does not necessarily translate into a complete pathologic response, and residual invasive cancer may be found in up to 80% of the disappearing tumors after resection. Methods Retrospective review of 14 patients who underwent LT for CRLM at two centers. Radiographic and pathologic correlation of the number of tumors and their viability before and after LT was performed. Results 
The median interquartile range number of tumors at diagnosis was 11, 4 to 23. The median number of chemotherapy cycles was 24, 16 to 37. Hepatic artery infusion was used in 5 patients, 35.7%, 6, 42.9%, underwent surgical resection, and 5, 35.7%, received local regional therapy. The indication for LT was unresectability in 8 patients, 57.1%, and liver failure secondary to oncologic treatment in the remaining 6, 42.9%. Before LT, 7 patients, 50%, demonstrated fluorodeoxyglucose avid tumors and 7, 50%, had a complete radiographic response. Histopathologically, 11 patients, 78.6%, had a viable tumor. 9, 64.2% of the 14 patients were found to have undiagnosed metastases on explant pathology, with at least 22 unaccounted viable tumors before LT. Furthermore, 4, 57.1% of the 7 patients who demonstrated complete radiographic response harbored viable carcinoma on explant pathology. Conclusions A complete radiographic response does not reliably predict a complete pathologic response. In patients with unresectable CRLM, total hepatectomy and LT represent a promising treatment options to prevent indolent disease progression from disappearing CRLM. Next article is from Journal of American Medical Association Surgery. Doubt circulating tumor DNA dynamics as prognostic markers in locally advanced and metastatic esophageal squamous cell carcinoma. Importance esophageal squamous cell carcinoma, ESCC, is a deadly disease with frequent recurrence. There are unmet needs for prognostic biomarkers for dynamically monitoring disease progression and detecting minimal residual disease. Objective to examine whether circulating tumor DNA is clinically useful as a prognostic biomarker for ESCC recurrence and patient survival. Design, setting, and participants This single-center, population-based cohort study consecutively enrolled 147 patients receiving curative, N equals 74, or palliative, N equals 73, treatment at the surgery and clinical oncology departments of Queen Mary Hospital in Hong Kong from August 1, 2016. To September 31, 2021. Intervention patients were treated with upfront surgery, neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy plus surgery with or without adjuvant therapy or palliative chemotherapy, CT. Main outcomes and measures detection of circulating tumor DNA, CNA, progression-free survival, PFS and overall survival, OS. Results a total of 478 serial plasma samples from 147 patients with local regional or metastatic ESCC were prospectively analyzed. Among the 74 patients in the curative group, median, range, age, 66, 46 to 85, years, 56, 76.0%, male, 44, 59.5%, relapsed and 36, 48.6%, died. For patients receiving curative surgical treatment, a high CNA level, hazard ratio, HR, 7.84, 95% C, 1.87 to 32.97, P equals 0.005, and CNA alterations, HR, 5.71, 95% C, 1.81 to 17.97, P equals 0.003, 
at six months post-operation were independently associated with poor OS. Among patients receiving neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy, post-neoadjuvant KNA alterations were associated with poor PFS, HR, 3.16, 95% C, 1.17 to 8.52, P equals 0.02. In the 73 patients in the palliative group, median, range, age, 63, 45 to 82, years, 63, 86.0%, male, 71, 97.3%, had disease relapse and 68, 93.2%, died. Detectable pre-CTNF2L2 alterations were independently associated with PFS, HR, 2.99, 95% C, 1.35 to 6.61, P equals 0.007 and OS, HR, 28.39, 95% C, 7.26 to 111.03, P equals 1.52 times 10 minus 6, whereas hyptonin levels, HR, 2.41. 95% C, 1.18 to 4.95, P equals 0.02, and alterations in pre-cycle 3 KNA, HR, 1.99, 95% C, 1.03 to 3.85, P equals 0.04, showed weaker associations with PFS. Alterations in pre-CT KNA were independently associated with OS, HR, 4.46, 95% C, 1.86 to 10.69, P equals 7.97 times 10 minus 4. Conclusions and relevance The findings of this cohort study indicate that prognostic models incorporating PNA features are useful in ESCC. Both PNA level and F2L2 alterations pre-CT and before cycle 3 were found to be important prognostic factors in palliative groups, and PNA alterations after treatment, and at 6 months after surgery may define high-risk groups for recurrence in the curative group. High-risk patients can benefit by a timely switch to the next therapeutic option. Risk-adjusted cumulative sum for early detection of hospitals with excess perioperative mortality. Objective to compare the risk-adjusted cumulative sum, CUSM with episodic evaluation for early detection of hospitals with excess perioperative mortality. Design, setting, and participants national, observational, hospital level, comparative effectiveness study of 697,566 patients. Identification of hospitals with excess, risk-adjusted, quarterly 30-day mortality using observed to expected ratios, e current criterion standard in the Veterans Affairs Surgical Quality Improvement Program, was compared with the risk-adjusted CUSM. Patients included in the study underwent a non-cardiac operation at a Veterans Affairs Hospital, had a record in the Veterans Affairs Surgical Quality Improvement Program, January 1, 2011, through December 31, 2016, and were aged 18 years or older. Main outcome and measure number of hospitals identified as having excess risk-adjusted 30-day mortality. Results The cohort included 697,566 patients treated at 104 hospitals across 24 quarters. The mean SD, age was 60.9, 13.2 years, 91.4% were male and 8.6% were female. For each hospital, the median number of quarters detected with observed to expected ratios, at least one custom signal, and more than one custom signal was two quarters, IQR, 1 to 4 quarters, 8 quarters, 
IQR, 4 to 11 quarters, and 3 quarters, IQR, 1 to 4 quarters, respectively. During 2,496 total quarters of data, outlier hospitals were identified 33.3% of the time, 830 quarters, with at least one cousin signal within a quarter, 12.5%, 311 quarters, with more than one cousin signal, and 11.0%, 274 quarters, with observed to expected ratios at the end of the quarter. The cousin detection occurred a median of 49 days, IQR, 25 to 63 days, before observed to expected ratio reporting, one signal, 35 days, IQR, 17 to 54 days, two signals, 49 days, IQR, 26 to 61 days, three signals, 58 days, IQR, 44 to 69 days, greater than or equal to four signals, 49 days, IQR, 42 to 69 days, trend test, P less than 0.001. Of 274 hospital quarters detected with observed to expected ratios, 72.6%, 199, were concurrently detected by at least one custom signal versus 42.7%, 117, by more than one custom signal. There was a dose-response relationship between the number of custom signals in a quarter and the median observed to expected ratio, 0 signals, 0.63, 1 signal, 1.28, 2 signals, 1.58, 3 signals, 2.08, greater than or equal to 4 signals, 2.49, trend test, P less than 0.001. Conclusions This study found that with CUSM, hospitals with excess perioperative mortality can be identified well in advance of standard end-of-quarter reporting, which suggests episodic evaluation strategies fail to detect out-of-control processes and place patients at risk. Continuous performance evaluation tools should be adopted in national quality improvement programs to prevent avoidable patient harm. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Factors associated with recurrent appendicitis after successful treatment with antibiotics. Background. As more patients with appendicitis are treated with antibiotics, factors associated with recurrence may help inform individualized prognostication and decision-making. Methods This cohort study, using data from the comparison of outcomes of antibiotic drugs, an appendectomy trial, examined patients treated with antibiotics who did not undergo appendicectomy in the first 30 days. Patients who had appendicectomy between 30 days and one year were compared with those who did not. Marginalized logistic regression models were used to calculate adjusted risk differences, RDs, to estimate the association between baseline patient factors and the risk of undergoing an appendicectomy between 30 days and one year. Results Of 601 patients treated with antibiotics who did not undergo appendicectomy within 30 days, mean age 38.0 years, 217 women, 36.1%, 144 had an appendicectomy and 56 were lost to follow-up between 30 days and one year. The estimated rate of appendicectomy between 30 days and one year was 28.6, 95% CI 25.0 to 32.8%. After adjustment for other factors, nausea, vomiting, or anorexia baseline presentation was associated with an increased rate of appendicectomy between 30 days and one year, adjusted RD 17.52. 95% CI 8.64 to 
The presence of an appendicolith, adjusted RD 3.64, minus 6.08 to 13.36, or an abscess, perforation, or fat stranding on initial imaging, adjusted RD minus 7.23, minus 17.41 to 2.95, was not strongly associated with appendicectomy between 30 days and one year. Conclusion Most factors commonly associated with appendicitis severity were not strongly associated with an increased risk of undergoing appendicectomy in the longer term after treatment with antibiotics. Sexual harassment, sexual assault and rape by colleagues in the surgical workforce, and how women and men are living different realities, observational study using NHS population-derived weights. Background This observational study, paired with National Health Service, NHS, workforce population data, examined gender differences in surgical workforce members' experiences with sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, sexual assault, rape, among colleagues in the past five years, and their views of the adequacy of accountable organizations in dealing with this issue. Methods This was a survey of UK surgical workforce members, recruited via surgical organizations. Results Some 1704 individuals participated, with 1,434, 51.5% women, eligible for primary unweighted analyses. Weighted analyses, grounded in NHS England surgical workforce population data, used 756 NHS England participants. Weighted and unweighted analyzes showed that, compared with men, women were significantly more likely to report witnessing, and be a target of, sexual misconduct. Among women, 63.3% reported being the target of sexual harassment versus 23.7% of men, 89.5% witnessing versus 81.0% of men. Additionally, 29.9% of women had been sexually assaulted versus 6.9% of men, 35.9% witnessing versus 17.1% of men, with 10.9% of women experiencing forced physical contact for career opportunities, a form of sexual assault, versus 0.7% of men. Being raped by a colleague was reported by 0.8% of women versus 0.1% of men, 1.9% witnessing versus 0.6% of men. Evaluations of organizations' adequacy in handling sexual misconduct were significantly lower among women than men, ranging from a low of 15.1% for the General Medical Council to a high of 31.1% for the Royal Colleges, men's evaluations, 48.6 and 60.2% respectively. Conclusion Sexual misconduct in the past five years has been experienced widely, with women affected disproportionately. Accountable organizations are not regarded as dealing adequately with this issue. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. Bypass versus endovascular treatment for occluded femoropopliteal stents in patients with critical limb-threatening ischemia. Objective The aim of the study was to compare the early and medium-term outcomes of bypass versus endovascular treatment of occluded femoropopliteal stents in patients with chronic limb-threatening ischemia, the OutStep Multicentric Registry. Methods Between January 2016 and December 2021, 
317 patients in 14 centers underwent treatment for a symptomatic occlusion of femoropopliteal stents/slash stents. 161 patients were included into the present study, 46, 28.6%, underwent open bypass surgery, group open, and 115, 71.4%, underwent endovascular revascularization, group endo. Early, 30 days, results were assessed and compared between the two groups. Estimated 5-year outcomes were evaluated and compared with the log rank test. Results At 30 days, no differences were found in terms of major adverse cardiovascular events, acute kidney injury reinterventions, major amputation, and all-cause mortality between the two groups. The need for blood transfusions was higher for patients in group open, 17, 36.9% versus 13, 11.3%, p less than 0.001. The mean length of intensive care unit stay and the mean hospital stay were higher for patients in group open, 0.3 plus or minus 0.9 versus 0 days, p less than 0.001 and, 9.7 plus or minus 5.8 versus 3.3 plus or minus 1.4 days, p less than 0.001 respectively. The overall median duration of follow-up was 33.1 months, interquartile range, 14 to 49.5 months. At 5 years, there were no differences between the two groups in terms of survival, 68.7% group open versus 68.8% group endo, p equals 0.27. Log rank, 1.21, primary patency, 56.3% group open versus 67.8% group endo, p equals 0.39, log rank, 0.75, secondary patency, 59.1% group open versus 77.8% group endo, p equals 0.24, log rank, 1.40, absence of target lesion restenosis, 56.8% group open versus 62.7% group endo, p equals 0.42, log rank, 0.65, and limb salvage, 77.2% group open versus 90.4% group endo, p equals 0.17, log rank, 1.87. Conclusions Both bypass and endovascular treatment provided safe and effective restoration of patency for femoropopliteal and stent occlusion in patients with chronic limb-threatening ischemia. Open surgery was associated with longer stay in hospital and increased use of blood transfusions. At 5 years, no significant differences were found in the rates of overall patency or limb salvage between bypass and endovascular treatment. Socioeconomic status fails to account for worse outcomes in non-Hispanic black patients undergoing carotid revascularization. Objective Previous studies have reported an association of black race with worse carotid revascularization outcomes, but rarely include socioeconomic status as a confounding covariate. We aim to assess the association of race and ethnicity within hospital and long-term outcomes following carotid revascularization before and after accounting for socioeconomic status. Methods We identified non-Hispanic black and non-Hispanic white patients who underwent carotid endarterectomy, transfemoral carotid stenting, or transcarotid artery revascularization between 2003 and 2022 in the Vascular Quality Initiative. Primary outcomes were in-hospital stroke-slash-death and long-term stroke-slash-death. 
Multivariable logistic regression and Cox proportional hazards models were used to assess the association of race with perioperative and long-term outcomes after adjusting for baseline characteristics using a sequential model approach without and with consideration of area deprivation index, ADI, a validated composite marker of socioeconomic status. Results Of 201,395 patients, 5.1%, and equals 10,195, were non-Hispanic Black and 94.9%, and equals 191,200, were non-Hispanic White. Mean follow-up time was 3.4 plus or minus 0.01 years. A disproportionately high percentage of Black patients were living in more socioeconomically deprived neighborhoods relative to their white counterparts, 67.5% versus 54.2%, p less than 0.001. After adjusting for demographic, comorbidity, and disease characteristics, black race was associated with greater odds of in-hospital, adjusted odds ratio, AOR, 1.24, 95% confidence interval, C, 1.10 to 1.40, and long-term stroke-slash-death, adjusted hazard ratio, R, 1.13, 95% C, 1.04 to 1.23. These associations did not substantially change after additionally adjusting for ADI, Black race was persistently associated with greater odds of in-hospital, AOR, 1.23, 95% C, 1.09 to 1.39, and long-term stroke-slash-death, R, 1.12, 95% C, 1.03 to 1.21. Patients living in the most deprived neighborhoods were at greater risk of long-term stroke-slash-death compared with patients living in the least deprived neighborhoods, R, 1.19. 95% C, 1.05 to 1.35. Conclusions Non-Hispanic black race is associated with worse in-hospital and long-term outcomes following carotid revascularization despite accounting for neighborhood socioeconomic deprivation. There appears to be unrecognized gaps in care that prevent black patients from experiencing equitable outcomes following carotid artery revascularization. Possible implications of device-specific variability in post-endovascular aneurysm repair sac regression and endoleaks for surveillance categorization. Objective Significant sac regression during early surveillance has been shown to best predict reintervention-free long-term surveillance after endovascular aneurysm repair, EVAR. Furthermore, a persistent endoleak has been related to a worse outcome. Individualized surveillance algorithms based on these findings have been suggested. There are no studies comparing the performance of different stent graphs regarding sac regression, the presence of type 2 endoleaks, and their possible implications for individualized surveillance. The objective of this study was to evaluate device-specific differences and how these may affect patient categorization for surveillance. Methods Patients were treated electively with standard EVAR between 2005 and 2015 using three different devices, Zenith by Cook, Excluder by Gore, and Endurant by Medtronic. The data were reviewed retrospectively until 2020. Patients computed tomography angiographies, CTAs, at 30 days and at 2 years were analyzed for freedom from endoleaks and for sac regression of greater than or equal to 5 m. Reinterventions during long-term surveillance were counted. Patients were categorized according to the presence of any endoleak in sac regression at 30 days and 2 years, 
and the probability of re-intervention-free long-term surveillance was evaluated based on these findings. Results A total of 435 patients were treated for an abdominal aortic aneurysm with EVAR during the study period. At 30 days, 80.0%, and equals 339 of the patients were free from endoleaks, and at 2 years, 78.9%, and equals 273, were free from endoleaks. There was a significant difference in endoleak rate at 30 days and 2 years between the devices, P less than 0.001 and P equals 0.001. There was no significant difference in SAC regression between the devices at 2 years, P equals 0.096. The categorization at 30 days based on endoleak status had a sensitivity of 44.9%, specificity of 87.4%, and negative predictive value of 84.1% for finding a reintervention requiring complication during long-term follow-up. The corresponding figures at two years were 63.3%, 91.4%, and 89.4%, respectively. The combination of freedom from endoleaks and SAC regression of greater than or equal to 5M in the two-year CTA best predicted an uneventful long-term surveillance. Patients who met this criterion had a 95.6% probability, negative predictive value, of having a reintervention-free long-term surveillance. Conclusions There are significant differences in the prevalence of endoleaks between devices at 30 days and 2 years, but there is no difference in SAC regression. Patients with SAC regression of greater than or equal to 5M and no endoleaks in the 2-year CTA can be safely categorized for infrequent surveillance regardless of the stent graft model that has initially been used. Next article is from Surgical Endoscopy. Lymphatic flow mapping using near-infrared fluorescence imaging with endocyanine green helps to predict lymph node metastasis intraoperatively in patients with esophageal or esophagogastric junction cancer not treated with neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Background Lymphatic flow mapping using near-infrared fluorescence, NIR, imaging with endocyanine green, ICG, has been used for the intraoperative prediction of lymph node metastasis in esophageal or esophagogastric junction cancer. However, a consistent method that yields sufficient diagnostic quality is yet to be confirmed. This study explored the diagnostic utility of our newly established lymphatic flow mapping protocol for predicting lymph node metastasis in patients with esophageal or esophagogastric junction cancer. Methods We injected half a milliliter of ICG, 500 G per milliliter, into the submucosal layer at four paratumoral points on the day before surgery for 54 patients. We performed lymphatic flow mapping intraoperatively using near imaging. After determining the near status and presence of metastases, evaluable lymph node stations on in vivo imaging and all resected lymph nodes were divided into four categories, ICG plus meta plus, true positive, ICG plus meta minus, false positive, ICG minus meta plus, false negative, and ICG minus meta minus, true negative. Results the distribution of ICG plus and meta plus lymph node stations differed according to the primary tumor site. Sensitivity and specificity for predicting meta plus lymph nodes among ICG plus ones were 50%, 95% C41 to 59%, and 75%, 73 to 76%, respectively. 
Predicting meta plus lymph node stations among ICG plus stations improved these values to 66%, 54-77%, and 77%, 74-79%, respectively. Undergoing neoadjuvant chemotherapy was an independent risk factor for having meta plus lymph nodes with false negative diagnoses, odds ratio 4.82, 95% C1.28 to 18.19. The sensitivity of our technique for predicting metaplus lymph nodes and metaplus lymph node stations in patients who did not undergo neoadjuvant chemotherapy was 79%, 63-90%, and 83%, 61-94%, respectively. Conclusion Our protocol potentially helps to predict lymph node metastasis intraoperatively in patients with esophageal or esophagogastric junction cancer undergoing esophagectomy who did not undergo neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Surgeon and Radiologist Evaluation of Electromagnetic Chip Localization for Benign and Malignant Breast Lesions Background SmartClipm is a food and drug administration-approved, electromagnetic chip, EMC, localization system that provides three-dimensional navigation for the excision of soft tissue lesions. The purpose of this study was to analyze the accuracy and feasibility of EMC radiologic and surgical localization for benign and malignant breast lesions. Patients and Methods An Institutional Review Board Approved, Single Institution, Prospective Study from October 2020 to September 2022 of 38 women undergoing breast-conserving surgery with EMC localization of a single lesion greater than 5 mm on mammogram, MMG, or ultrasound, U.S. imaging. Surveys from performing breast radiologists and breast surgeons were collected after image-guided localization and surgical excision. Results 76 survey responses from 9 radiologists and 4 surgeons were received. The deployment needle and EMC were highly visible in 86.8% and 76.3% of procedures, respectively. There was no difficulty in deployment for 92.1% of procedures. The EMC was in the correct location on post-deployment MMG in 97.4% of cases. Three instances of EMC migration occurred. 1-1 cm from target lesion. The targeted mass and EMC were within the surgical specimen in 97.4% of cases. On specimen radiograph, 39.5% of the EMCs were 0 to 1 mm from the center of the target lesion, 18.4% were within 2 to 4 mm, and 23.7% were within 5 to 10 mm. Mean operating room time for all cases was 65 minutes one case required U.S. to localize the target due to console malfunction. Conclusion There was successful EMC deployment by radiologists with accurate visualization and successful surgical excision in most cases. The NVIGE Smart Clipton system is a reproducible and accurate localization method for benign and malignant breast lesions. Next article is from Obesity Surgery. Diabetes Remission After Rigged With and Without Fundus Resection, A Randomized Clinical Trial. Background. Glycemic control, after metabolic surgery, is achieved in two stages, initially with neuroendocrine alterations and in the long term with sustainable weight loss. 
The resection of the gastric fundus, as the major site of ghrelin production, is probably related with optimized glucose regulation. The aim of the present study is to investigate whether the modification of laparoscopic Roux-en-Y gastric bypass, RIG, with fundus resection offers superior glycemic control, compared to typical RIG. Materials and Methods Participants were 24 patients with body mass index, BMI, greater than or equal to 40 kg M2 and type 2 diabetes mellitus, T2DM, who were randomly assigned to undergo RIG and RIG with fundus resection. RIG plus FR. Gastrointestinal, GI, hormones, ghrelin, glucagon-like peptide 1, GLP-1, peptide D, PYY, and glycemic parameters, glucose, insulin, PA1C, C-peptide, insulinogenic index, HOMA-IR, were measured preoperatively, at 6 and 12 months during an oral glucose tolerance test, OGTT. Results. 95% of patients showed complete remission of T2DM after 12 months. RIG plus FR was not related with improved glycemic control, compared to RIG. Ghrelin levels were not significantly reduced at 6 and 12 months after RIG plus father GLP-1 and PIE levels were remarkably increased postprandially in both groups at 6 and 12 months postoperatively, P less than 0.01. Patients who underwent RIG plus FR achieved a significantly lower BMI at 12 months in comparison to RIG, P less than 0.05. Conclusion Fundus resection is not associated with improved glycemic regulation, compared to typical RIG, and the significant decrease in BMI after RIG plus FR has to be further confirmed with longer follow-up. Next article is from Journal of the American College of Surgeons. There is no such thing as too soon, long-term outcomes of early cholecystectomy for frail geriatric patients with acute biliary pancreatitis. Background Early cholecystectomy, CCY, for acute biliary pancreatitis, ABP, is recommended but there is a paucity of data assessing this approach in frail geriatric patients. This study compares outcomes of frail geriatric ABP patients undergoing index admission CCY versus non-operative management, NOM, with endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, ERCP. Study Design Retrospective Analysis of the Nationwide Readmissions Database, 2017. All frail geriatric, 65 years or older, patients with ABP were included. Patients were grouped by treatment at index admission, CCY versus NOM with endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography. Propensity score matching was performed in a 1 to 2 ratio. Primary outcomes were 6-month readmissions, mortality, and length of stay. Secondary outcomes were 6-month failure of NOM defined as readmission for recurrent ABP, unplanned pancreas-related procedures, or unplanned CCY. Subanalysis was performed to compare outcomes of unplanned CCY versus early CCY. Results. A total of 29,130 frail geriatric patients with ABP were identified and 7,941 were matched, CCY 5,294, NOM 2,647. Patients in the CCY group had lower six-month rates of readmission for pancreas-related complications, unplanned readmissions for pancreas-related procedures, overall readmissions, and mortality, as well as fewer hospitalized days, P less than 0.05.
NOM failed in 12% of patients and 7% of NOM patients were readmitted within 6 months to undergo CCY, of which 56% were unplanned. Patients who underwent unplanned CCY had higher complication rates and hospital costs, longer hospital lengths of stay, and increased mortality compared with early CCY, p less than 0.05. Conclusions For frail geriatric patients with ABP, early CCY was associated with lower six-month rates of complications, readmissions, mortality, and fewer hospitalized days. NUM was unsuccessful in nearly one of seven within six months, of these, one-third required a planned CCY. Early CCY should be prioritized for frail geriatric ABP patients when feasible. Identification of Nectin Family Interactive Gene Panel and Stratification of Clinical Outcomes in Patients with Pancreatic Cancer Background Although patient risk stratification is important for selecting individualized treatment for pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma, PDAC, predicting the oncologic outcomes after surgery remains a challenge. In this study, we identified a Nectin Family Gene Panel, NFGP, that can accurately stratify oncologic outcomes in patients with PAC. Study Design Comprehensive analysis of the expression of nine Nectin family genes identified the NFGP, which was assessed for predictive performance in two independent public cohorts, the Cancer Genome Atlas, TCGA, N equals 176, International Cancer Genome Consortium, ICGC, N equals 89. It was subsequently trained and validated for the in-house training cohort without neoadjuvant therapy, NAT, N equals 213, and the validation cohort with NAT, N equals 307. Results Using the Cox regression model, NFGP derived from nine Nectin family genes accurately stratified overall survival, OS, in TCGA, P equals 0.038, and ICGC, P equals 0.005. We subsequently optimized NFGP, which robustly discriminated postoperative prognosis, OS, P equals 0.014, and relapse-free survival, RFS, P equals 0.006, in the training cohort. The NFGP was successfully validated in an independent validation cohort, OS, P less than 0.001, RFS, P equals 0.004. Multivariate analysis demonstrated the NFGP was an independent prognostic factor for OS and RFS in the training, P equals 0.028 and 0.008, respectively, and validation, P less than 0.001 and 0.013, respectively, cohorts. The subcohort analyzes showed that the predictive performance of NFGP is applicable to the patient's subcohort according to resectability or adjuvant therapy status. Additionally, a combination model of NFGP score and CA199 level emerged with improved accuracy for predicting prognosis. Conclusions This study established the predictive significance of NFGP for oncologic outcomes after surgery in PAC. Our data demonstrate its clinical impact as a potent biomarker for optimal patient selection for individualized treatment strategies. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery.
prolonging the therapeutic window for valproic acid treatment in the swine model of traumatic brain injury and hemorrhagic shock. Background It has previously been shown that administration of valproic acid, VPA, can improve outcomes if given within an hour following traumatic brain injury, TBI. This short therapeutic window, TW, limits its use in real-life situations. Based upon its pharmacokinetic data, we hypothesize that TW can be extended to 3 hours if a second dose of VPA is given 8 hours after the initial dose. Method Yorkshire swine, 40 to 45 kg, N equals 10, were subjected to TBI, controlled cortical impact, and 40% blood volume hemorrhage. After 2 hours of shock, they were randomized to either 1. Normal saline resuscitation, control, or 2. Normal saline VPA. 150 mg slash kg times 2 doses. First dose of VPA was started 3 hours after the TBI, with a second dose 8 hours after the first dose. Neurologic severity scores, range, 0 to 36, were assessed daily for 14 days, and brain lesion size was measured via magnetic resonance imaging on post-injury day 3. Results Hemodynamic and laboratory parameters of shock were similar in both groups. Valproic acid-treated animals had significantly less neurologic impairment on days 2, 16.3 plus or minus 2.0 versus 7.3 plus or minus 2.8, and 3, 10.9 plus or minus 3.6 versus 2.8 plus or minus 1.1, post-injury and return to baseline levels 54% faster. Magnetic resonance imaging showed no differences in brain lesion size on day 3. Pharmacokinetic data confirmed neuroprotective levels of VPA in the circulation. Conclusion This is the first study to demonstrate that VPA can be neuroprotective even when given 3 hours after TBI. This expanded TW has significant implications for the design of the clinical trial. Correlation Analysis of Salivary Cytokines and Hormones with Resiliency Background Frequent exposure to acute stress increases risk of suicide, post-traumatic stress disorder, and other stress-related disorders. Neuroendocrine and immunologic dysregulation associated with stress may underlie predispositions to psychological disorders and inflammatory disease processes in individuals, such as first responders and other healthcare professionals who function in high-stress situations. The Hardiness Resilience Gauge, HRG, can be used to psychometrically measure resilience, a psychological modifier of the stress response. Using the HRG alongside salivary biomarker profiling, may help to identify low-resilience phenotypes and allow mitigation and early therapeutic interventions. There is a paucity of knowledge regarding biomarkers of resilience. This study aims to evaluate the relationship between factors of resilience with salivary biomarker levels and fluctuations during and following acute stress. Methods 63 first responders underwent a standardized stress-inducing training exercise, providing salivary samples before, pre-stress, immediately after, post-stress, and one hour after the event, recovery. The HRG was administered before, initial, and after, final, the event. Multiplex ELISA panels quantified 42 cytokines and 6 hormones from the samples, which were analyzed for relationships to psychometric factors of resilience measured by the HRG. Results 
several biomarkers correlated with psychological resilience following the acute stress event. The HRG scores correlated, P less than 0.05, with a select set of biomarkers with moderate to strong correlations, vertical bar or vertical bar greater than 0.3. These included EGF, GRO-alpha, PSHVA, TGF-alpha, VGFA, interleukin, IL-1-RA, TNF-alpha, IL-18, cortisol, FGF2, IL-13, IL-15, and IL-6. Interestingly, fluctuations of EGF, GRO-alpha, and PSHVA in post-stress compared with recovery were positively correlated with factors of resilience, which were negatively correlated from the pre-stress to post-stress period. Conclusion this exploratory analysis discovered a small subset of salivary biomarkers that are significantly correlated with acute stress and resilience. Further investigation of their specific roles in acute stress and associations with resiliency phenotypes is warranted. Next article is from the American Journal of Surgery. Assessing Operative Competence in Core Surgical Training, a Reliability Analysis Background This study quantifies the number of observations required to reliably assess the operative competence of core surgical trainees, CSDs, in Ireland, using the Supervised Structured Assessment of Operative Performance, SOP, tool. Methods SOPs, April 2016-February 2021, were analyzed across a mix of undifferentiated procedures, as well as for three commonly performed general surgery procedures in CSD, appendicectomy, abdominal wall hernia repair, and skin-slash-subcutaneous lesion excision. Generalizability and decision studies determine the number of observations required to achieve dependability indices greater than or equal to 0.8, appropriate for use in high-stakes assessment. Results A total of 2,294 SOPs were analyzed. Four assessors, each observing 10 cases, can generate scores sufficiently reliable for use in high-stakes assessments. Focusing on a selection of core procedures yields more favorable reliability indices. Conclusion Trainers should conduct repeated assessments across a smaller number of procedures to improve reliability. Programs should increase the assessor mix to yield sufficient dependability indices for high-stakes assessments. Next article is from World Journal of Surgery. Frailty assessment can enhance current risk prediction tools in emergency laparotomy, a retrospective cohort study. Objective We set out to assess the performance of the PPOSM and NELA risk prediction tool, NELA RPT, and hypothesize that combining them with a clinical frailty scale, CFS, would significantly improve their performance. Summary background data Emergency laparotomy L is a high-risk surgical intervention, particularly for elderly patients with marked comorbidities and frailty. Accurate risk prediction is crucial for appropriate resource allocation, clinical decision-making, and informed consent. Although patient frailty is a significant risk factor, the current risk prediction tools fail to take frailty into account. Methods In this retrospective single-center cohort study, we analyzed all cases entered into the NELA database from the Oxford University Hospitals between January 1, 2018 and June 15, 2021. We analyzed the performance of the PPOSM and NELA RPT. 
both tools were modified by adding the CFS to the model. Results The discrimination of both the P-Possum and Nella RPT was good, with a slightly worse performance in the elderly. Adding CFS into the P-Possum and Nella RPT models improved both tools and the elderly, AUC from 0.775 to 0.846, P less than 0.05, from 0.814 to 0.864, P less than 0.05, respectively. The improvement of the Nella RPT across all age groups did not reach statistical significance. The CFS grade was associated with 30-day mortality in patients aged more than 65 years. However, in younger patients, this effect was less marked than in the elderly. Conclusion Our analysis demonstrated a significant improvement in the P-Possum and Nella risk models when combined with the CFS. Frailty also increases the 30-day mortality after L in younger individuals.